and welcome to another episode of Breaking the Glass Slipper. So I uh, have been a, a long-term lover of uh, role-playing games and their ability to showcase diversity in a way that literature can't. So whether that's eschewing the traditional cis white male protagonist or encountering diverse races and relationships, gaming offers us a safe space to explore topics we might otherwise avoid in the real world. I'd like to think that they can help open minds and be a catalyst for further discussion. So today I'm hugely lucky to be joined by Emily R. Marlowe, who some of you may remember from our panel together at Nine Worlds uh, earlier this year. So Emily, uh, welcome to Breaking the Glass Zipper. Would you like to introduce yourself? Okay, hi. Thank you very much for having me. Um, my name is Emily Marlowe. Uh, I am a second year PhD student with the Sheffield Institute for Interdisciplinary Biblical Studies, otherwise known as SIBS at the University of Sheffield. Um, and I study, um, I guess you would broadly say, I study religion in video games. Um, more specifically, I study uh, Jesus or Christ figures in video games. Most, Even more specifically, you would say that I look at Christ figures in Dragon Age Inquisition. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, well, first off, um, how did you get into gaming? Um, I mean, I, I probably my first uh, my first real kind of experience with gaming was of Elder Scrolls Three Morrowind, uh, which I found incredibly um, inspirational and wonderful, and I'm still as equally obsessed with it now as I was when I was sixteen. Uh, so, how about you? Um, I was really, really lucky to have. Um, at least one parent who was really into technology. So I can I can be one of those people who is like, I've been gaming since I was five years old. Um, because I think the first game I remember playing on a console was California Games, which was on an on a like an Amstead Atari kind of thing. Um, and I think the first computer game I played was actually, um, I looked this up because I described this game to a bunch of people and they were like, oh, that sounds very much like Rogue or it sounds Rogue-esque, which of course is one of the foundational games that a, a bunch of these games are, are built on. And it turned out it was, it was it. It was the original version of that. So um, I think I've been playing games since I was a child and I've been lucky to, like, I had a, a Sega and then I had a PlayStation 1 and a PlayStation 2 and on and on and on. And I had PCs that I could use. Um, so my interest in gaming went through stages. Um, when I was a kid, I often only played like racing games. Um, or games like Tekken. Um, I really loved Tekken 4. That was my favorite. Um, but I think in hindsight, a lot of that was because I was a girl. And I had this belief that gamers were, you know, it was gaming with a capital G. Um, <laughs> and gamers were people who were good at first-person shooters. Um, and the fact that I played, like, endless amounts of, like, Sonic, um, the fact that, like, I cut my RPG teeth on, like, Final Fantasy X, 
and stuff like that, it was always sort of like, oh, yeah, but that's not real gaming. Real gaming is like playing, you know, um, I don't know, just any of the, like, GoldenEye or, like, all those kind of, like, covert ops kind of games. And that that idea really went for a really long time in my life until um, a friend, I was talking about how, I loved gaming and I loved the gaming environment and all the culture and everything, but I wasn't a very good gamer. And um, my friend said, you should play Mass Effect um, because I think you'd really like it. And it is a first-person shooter, but it's also an RPG. And it was Mass Effect that convinced me that, hey, I can actually play first-person shooters and... After I played that, I played, like, the entire Mass Effect series, um, and I played Borderlands 2, and I played a lot of those games, and it kind of got to the stage where, like, my husband was like, you go in and do the melee, I'll stand at the back and snipe, because you're really good at melee. And it was sort of like, oh, I can actually I can actually play these games. Um, so it's been a long road for me. Um, I think... When I started doing game studies academically, my parents were very much like, oh, finally, you can use your powers for good. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, it's kind of come full circle for me. So that's it's interesting because you just touched on something that's, you know, a really big part of Breaking the Glass Slipper, which is the the gender divide. Um, We talk about this a lot. So. Do you think that there are gender assumptions, um, you know, in in the gaming world? I mean, you said that oh, first person shooters are not are not for girls. Um, ha- I mean, I'm clearly the, there's some the marketing has changed uh, since then, and there are fo- people are far more open about um, you know being gamers. Um, but that's it's really interesting. Do you think that that's uh, the perception around uh, gender and gaming has changed? Uh, definitely. I mean, I'm talking like. I'm 34, so I'm talking about, like, I've been around since, like, before we had graphics, before we had anything. So I've seen this full spectrum of game development. And it was definitely the case that when I was a teenager, um, I hung around with a, a, a group of boys who were really into video games, but it was always that thing of... Um, I definitely suffer pressure of other people watching me. Um, and I think a lot of girls and women have stated that this actually affects their gameplay a lot, is the idea that they, they feel a need to perform. I've also found that um, a lot of, um, like, I when I play games like, say, Overwatch or Battleborn or something like that, when I lose, I don't really mind. Um but it seems when a lot of men I play with lose, they get really upset. Yeah. So it's it's interesting how that works in the sense of like um, you know, I think when I was growing up, I, I definitely thought there's boys' games and there's girls' games. But I I was living in an era where that actually was true in the sense that there was this big move in the nineties um, and the early two thousands to develop quote-unquote girl games, which were all pink and, you know, very, very girly, for want of a better word. Um, And I wasn't really interested in them. 
Um, I didn't really associate with those characters. I think the biggest development for me was playing Final Fantasy games um, because I was better at Final Fantasy games than my male counterparts, um, especially, like, when we got up to, like, Final Fantasy thirteen. My husband, like, just gave up when he got when he got to the arc, the big ship bit. He was just like, I can't, I can't, I can't play this anymore. Um, and I finished the boss with him, like, sitting next to me, just like, how the hell are you doing this? Um, so I think it's something that a lot of women have to break through. Obviously, the statistics, which just keep getting reported every year and no one seems to pay attention to them, is that at least half of the audience is women. Um, and... Like, we're not all playing Candy Crush. Um, it's, it's, I think there's still a marketing and a media idea that, that video games are for boys, um, and they're for loner boys, which is just not true anymore in the sense that I think it was the 2016 American statistics, um, the ESA statistics, which stated that the average game player age is 31. Mm-hmm. So that's that's not a teenager. Um, it was there are more women over 18 playing games than boys under 18 playing games. Um, so I think it was a thing. It was definitely a thing in the 80s and the 90s um, and the early 2000s. Um, hopefully it's breaking down. Mm-hmm. I would like to see it break down because I know so many, um, so many women who are great game players um, who play more than their male counterparts. I I don't think it's necessary to have that division anymore, um, but I definitely felt it growing growing up. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Have Have you seen the Guild? Yes, of course. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love I love Felicia. So yeah, I've seen that. Um, and and I went through like so much of that. Um, I said this before we started recording, but um, I played WoW since um, World of Warcraft since like six months after it launched, um, and I played it for a very long time, and I I never really noticed it at the time, but now that I've studied a lot of game stuff, like the amount of shit you would get from people when you said you were a woman um mm-hmm. and i didn't make it any better for myself because i always play priests uh so yeah. so when i was playing a priest it was sort of like oh you're the sport um and um that's just the position i like i like to have a very far back position um and i like to be a caster most of the time so i definitely got got that that sort of stuff from people being like, oh, you're a woman. And I just wouldn't tell people because I just couldn't be bothered to have that conversation Um, because you just have the conversation over and over of people being like, oh, but you game. Oh, does your boyfriend game? Or like, um, like the amount of people who are just sort of like, oh, but you don't actually know how to play the games or something. And it's, it's, it was, it was so ridiculous back then because it was sort of like, no, I do, I do. And I couldn't really defend myself because I didn't have confidence in myself. Um, whereas now I'm like, yeah, suck it. I play all my games in easy mode because I'm studying the narrative. 
<laughs> I don't care anymore. I really don't. Um, I don't think playing a game in a higher setting makes you bigger or better or anything, um, especially with RPGs. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think it makes that much difference. Well, really. I completely agree because I think, uh, and I like the idea of um, that games, you know, like we mentioned Dishonored before, but I noticed mm-hmm. that's... Um, that when you, you load up the screen, it actually tell, tells you kind of which uh, mode you want to play in. And actually, it has the easy mode says, not easy mode. It's to fo- if players who want to focus on the storylines. Yeah. Because role-playing games and um, video games are so uh, story-rich these days, um, it's a perfectly legitimate mode in which to play. Mm-hmm. Because actually, you know, you are very... From a from a writer's perspective, um, I'm always so much more uh, invested in the characters than I am in the actual um, gameplay itself. I like the gameplay; it's great, but I don't think I'd enjoy it as much without that very rich um, storytelling element that it has. Mm-hmm. Um, and if and if you're if you're someone like me and you're and you're just studying the narrative, it's so frustrating because I'll be like. Okay, I need to get to the next cutscene in, you know, Dragon Age or something, and it's like, okay, well, I've got a good two hours of fighting in between <laughs> then and there. So I try to make it as easy as possible, just so I can get through that as quick as possible. Okay, so this brings us really nicely to um, my question about, you know, our favourite games. And I know that you're a huge Dragon Age fan. You said that you're using Dragon Age Inquisition as a case study in your PhD, which I have to say sounds like the most fun PhD ever, as far as PhDs go. Um, but what is it about the Dragon Age franchise that is so compelling? Um, I'm, I'm like the worst kind of Dragon Age fan. Um, and I'm also, this is also correlates to me being the worst kind of Witcher fan. Um, because for both of those franchises, I have only played the third one. Um, I know, I know. And it's, it's really like, I'm really lucky because in my office at work, I've got, I, um, share an office with the absolutely fabulous Lauren Nixon. Um, and Lauren, has played them all multiple times. So I'm often uh, yeah. like, I'll, I'll like go over to her and be like, so how does this relate to this? And she'll be like, well, in Origins, this happened. So I, I know what happens in both of them. Um, I've, I've read a lot about it and I've played bits of the first one. But what happened was, um, I played, <laughs> I watched, I watched my husband play a bit of it. And I remember walking past and being like, oh no. I'm not up for that because he was like doing this top down stuff. And I was like, Oh God, that just looks too complex and looks really badly done. And no, I don't want to play that. And the same was true of Witcher. I remember seeing it and just hearing about the sexism and the racism and being like, I don't want to play that game. And then, uh, with Witcher, I saw like an, uh, 45 minute, like let's play of it of one of the developers going into Novigrad and I was just like hot damn I need to play this game because it was just so stunning but with Dragon Age um, I have to admit I saw a picture a a high-res picture of Cassandra Pentagast and I was like hot damn I need to play this game um, and unfortunately, I usually always play as a um, bisexual female. Um, and then I loaded up Dragon Age Inquisition and found out that Cassandra is heterosexual. Yeah. 
and I was like, I cannot be bothered to like, like I love her, but I can't, I can't play. Like I just don't want to play a man just to romance Cassandra. <laughs> like I love her, and I made sure like every single one of my inquisitors is always like best, best, best friends with Cassandra. Um, but she was the reason I started playing the game because I saw a picture of her and I was like, oh wow, she looks like a really cool character. Um, and then I sort of put two and two together with the fact with it being a Bioware game, because before then, Bioware weren't really on my radar. Um, and it was only when I played all the Mass Effects and then I was like, oh, there's not going to be another Mass Effect at that time. Um, and then I was like, oh, they've got another game coming out. I'll play that. And it was Dragon Age Inquisition. Um, so I'm, I'm really bad. <laughs> but... <laughs> Uh, the thing I really like about Dragon Age um, or about Inquisition in general is it's just like it's it's just got such a great narrative. Um, the depth of the characters, and the the voice acting of the characters, uh, just the style of the world, the style of the gameplay, all of it. I just I love it as as a narrative. I think it's really great as a work thing. It's it's perfect for my work. I'm talking about, um, you know, our cultural conception of Jesus in media um, and how we see these kind of savior figures. So obviously um, the Inquisitor, you know, known as the Herald of Andraste and, you know, chosen by fate and all the kind of um, Jesus iconography that is used in the marketing of the game. Um, and the plot line of the entire game, it, it just is a perfect support. Um, same as Mass Effect, really. I could have used Mass Effect or Dragon Age, and I ended up using Dragon Age because I just loved it more. <laughs> I was sort of like, I could do Mass Effect, but with Mass Effect, I would have had to do all three games because all three of them tell the full story of Shepard, um, whereas Inquisition, I think, because you can get more out of it if you play the other games, and obviously it's directly related to the other games, but the story of the Inquisitor specifically is its own story. So I used it for that reason. Um, but as far as, like, favorite games um it's got to be witcher 3 um i think it's hands down it deserved all the awards it got it is one of it's just a work of art and the only problem i had with witcher 3 really was that i played it after i played dragon age um and so when i played dragon age i was just like oh my god i love this game and then i was like i'll play witcher 3 and then i played witcher 3 and i was like oh my god it's so much better than dragon age <laughs> Um, because it just is, it's like the graphics are better. The story is better. Yeah. It's, it's, it was a real heartbreak actually. There, there's a lot there's of a finding lot of... Siri though in that game. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 And, and I think, I think it's, it's better in very specific ways. So the difference between Dragon Age and Witcher is that I was playing my first playthrough to try and please everyone because I thought that it would be like Mass Effect 3 when you could collect everyone and you could have that wonderful party at the end where you're all like, yeah, we all saved the world, aren't we great? Um, and it was only towards the end when I got the achievement for 
having three friends um, <laughs> that I was like, hang on a second, Aren't, you know, don't I get them all? And it was the way that I was playing as a kind of like a, a good character, really a sort of like, I will save these people. And like, I, I pardon the wardens and I did a bunch of those kind of things, which I thought everyone's going to love these because I sound really, you know, I'm really liberal. I'm really understanding. Um, and I just kept getting these like Cassandra greatly dislikes yeah. or greatly disapproves. Um, and I, I would like half of them would like it and half of them wouldn't. Yeah. And I got to that stage where I was like, Oh my God, you can't actually please everyone. Um, which I now think is like, that's great. And that's more natural, but it meant that my character became really disjointed because I would say yes to certain things and no to other things. And it would just come out really sort of like my story was just all over the place. Whereas when you play as Geralt in Witcher three, you have like two, conversation options and both of them are very true to Geralt mm -hmm. um you can't be an outright dick and you can't be like outrightly sassy you can only do that in certain parts and because of that it allows the game to retain its narrative shape um and it gives you a real cohesive story without it feeling like it's on rails um all the side plots kind of feed in so if you don't do the side quests you don't get them but if you do do the side quests you get this kind of richer narrative whereas a lot of the side quests in dragon age just felt really like you're ticking a box um you know you're you the asterians like I, I, yeah i just found it that was one of the things that i think they did that was kind of poor but then i think it was kind of, I think Witcher 3 especially is a very big anomaly in games mm -hmm. in the sense of, like, it came out in the same year. It, it was so dramatically different from every other game and so much more detailed um, that I think it's kind of unfair to compare it to a lot of things. Well, no, um, it is very, its structure is very different from Dragon Age, uh, yeah. and it's, it's the narrative drive is obviously very different because you're playing from one particular viewpoint, um, which is, and I love Geralt, um, he does have, what I, I did say about, particularly if you played the first game, um, he, his approach to solving problems is, can I stick my dick in it? Yes, yes, and, and if, it does if he, have, like, collecting cards of, like, brothels in the second one i think it is yeah yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and if, if he can't then it's use odd <laughs> yeah which is why again i loved witcher 3 um because i had this really uh, <laughs> this really great uh discussion with a guy uh on facebook who i won't name um who said uh i was saying how much i loved witcher and this guy was like yeah i think it's good but it's got way too much sex in it and i was like Whoa are we talking about Witcher 3? And he was like, yeah, it's like got every, everywhere you turn, it's a sex scene. And I was like, are we playing the same game? Because when you play it through, if you don't go to a brothel, you can only really have sex with a maximum of like three people. Um, and if two of those three people find out that you slept with the other version, they both stop sleeping with you. Uh, so, like, the only way you could have played this game with too much sex, 
over like a hundred hour game is if you went to a brothel um because yeah of course there's a lot of sex if you go to a brothel and he was just like oh oh i was uh i was exaggerating uh you know i didn't i mean it just seemed like a lot to me it's just like no don't even try it don't even try it i've played that game i know what i'm talking about <laughs> like yeah no i think that was really good in witcher 3 because they do like they tone it down yeah so i mean the I really enjoyed, um, I, I, I love Elder Scrolls, I really love The Witcher, I haven't finished Witcher 3 yet, which is just terrible, because I got horribly distracted, but I'm literally on the last battle. Um, I suppose the one thing that The Witcher does uh, end up kind of doing is it does force you into the persona of Geralt, um, and you do, yes, you have moments uh, as Siri, but you know you don't have that variety of choice that you get with games like dragon age and with elder scrolls where you really can be anyone right the, the character creation is inc- you know these days is incredibly um complicated it's got lots of um, customization <laughs> options and 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 you can obviously with dragon age and elder scrolls it introduces quite a variety of races that you can be um so what I was talking about earlier being that kind of the cis white male protagonist, um, which kind of Geralt does tend to, to fit into that category. Um, so, you know, while it's a great game, you don't have that, that breadth of customization that, you know, as you said before about Dragon Age, you play, um, you like to play bisexual females, which obviously you never got that option <laughs> with Witcher. Yeah, yeah, no, no. And, and when you do play a female, I will say, um, like, because I was really excited when, when I first got Siri until I looked at her shoes. Um, and she's, she's wearing high heeled boots. I know. Um, and it's sort of like, like, I can take the open blouse. Um, that's fine. The, the ridiculously heavy eyeliner, that's yeah. fine. But suggesting that someone could be a witcher or a type of witcher with high heeled boots on in a marsh, like, Come on. You will really hate quite a lot of the Skyrim mods for female <laughs> armor then. Oh no, I've seen them. I've seen them. I like I'm I find it quite worrying actually that like when you go to like Skyrim and Fallout, the the most popular mods are the ones that make women more attractive. Um I find that really problematic. Um it's it's quite worrying. Like I can understand wanting, you know, different hair. I mean Every game has a problem with hair, but um, I do find it very worrying that there's there's so many mods for taking clothes off women um, or giving them larger breasts or bigger yeah, it, it's 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 really telling I think um, about the kind, the kind of society we live in. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean that's actually it was never one of my original questions, but I think it's just come up in in conversation when we were talking about mods and the fact that I mean I will only play Skyrim with mods now. My Skyrim is heavily modded because <laughs> I have played over a thousand hours of Skyrim, vanilla Skyrim. Yeah. 
and yeah, it gets to a point <laughs> yeah it, it gets to a point where you've got to have flying <laughs> yeah, you've got to be yeah, able to turn I into a dragon so that, these are my kind of mods I like to be able to turn into yeah. a dragon and yes I yeah. do have a lot of armour mods because I like yeah. cool looking armours and I yeah. like cool looking hairstyles and I like HDT hairstyles that like flow in the wind because I find it realistic yeah. it's great that their uh-huh. hair moves the, the hair in Inquisition though it just kept breaking the game yeah. for me because it would be like like the fact that they have like 10 hairstyles but the fact that all the models in the universe have those 10 hairstyles it's like everywhere you go you're like oh there's that braid so even though we've got a breadth a certain breadth of diversity in gaming that's been built in by the developers who you would assume come from all walks of life um what is it why do we still have these you know the emphasis the most popular mods that come to the surface are things like appearance that mm. it's all about um normalizing appearance or yeah. when it comes to women is denormalizing because actually what yeah. woman really looks like that you know and yeah. and i've noticed that in some mods um mod creators they will actually say uh, disclaimer okay no woman actually looks like this but enjoy my mod guys and you're like well you know there are great other great mods out there i've got a really good one for skyrim that has shows the muscles underneath the female body which of course if you were a warrior you would have muscles and you would have and you can see the veins standing out um and i love that kind of mod because it's it builds on the realism and the immersion for me um but yeah it is a problem in games that you know why are we so obsessed with appearance especially when it's you know a, a protagonist character well, I, I think it kind of relates to how games are sold nowadays in the sense that um, I noticed this particularly after The Witcher came out. Um, it was this thing of nearly every single game <laughs> afterwards was like, oh, my God, the map is so big, like, you won't even believe it. And um, it was clearly like they were just going off The Witcher. And I think the the thing for realism is a big is a big draw, um, especially with like the advent of VR and AR. Um, I think people think that realism equals immersion, um, which is not always true. Um, obviously, like games like The Witcher, and it does look beautiful and it does become very immersive. But I have been just as immersed in games like Firewatch, which have a very distinctive non-realistic style um so i think it's to do i think it's to do with a lot of cross marketing um a lot of cross you know people coming from like movies and stuff like that and sort of going oh well this is what people want um and also i think we've got to understand that different people play different games for different reasons um where i may play mass effect for a escapism someone else may play it for a completely different reason um and i think that's true of things like skyrim um and things like grand theft auto and like all games are played for different reasons so i think there's just there's just an undercurrent of people who who want to have this weirdly you know idealized version of what people look like even though they don't really (laughs) look like that um and i think there's definitely also on the flip side a bunch of people who are like well if i see that kind of character it breaks immersion for me like i can't play as kashi because 
I, I'm like their cat people. Um, <laughs> and and um, my husband always plays as Khajiit, and I can't, I can't play as lizard people. I, I just, I, I can't play if they're not like fully humanoid because it just breaks it for me. It's the same as I find it very difficult to play as a man um, because it just feels, it feels wrong. And if I've got the choice to play as a woman, I also have this thing of like, I feel like if I'm given the choice, um, because I come from a generation of people who never had the choice, mm-hmm. if I've got the choice, I should take it um, because, you know, I've got the opportunity. Um, and it's great to I... be able to build ourselves in these games that, you know, we never had that before. You were literally, you loaded up the game, you were given the protagonist, yeah. uh, it was usually a guy, and you just yeah. ran with it because that was the or, only or option. Or if it was a girl, it was a heavily sexualized yeah. version of a girl. Or the opposite, <laughs> and, a, and a heavily, like, virginal character. Um, it's like when you look at, say, Final Fantasy X, what are the women you have? You have the virgin, you have the boobs, um, and then you have the flirt. You you don't – all of them combined may make a whole person, mm-hmm. um, but they're, they're these stereotypes of women. Um, whereas the male cast in that, you know, you've got – I guess you've got the jock, the other jock, <laughs> the austere father figure, the warrior – but they have a lot more depth than the women do as far as gender typing. Um, so, yeah, obviously, when I played, like, Mass Effect, I was like, I'm going to be, like, the baddest female ever. <laughs> I think, yeah, I, I just think it, I should if I can. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I can't answer as to why people make these mods. Um, the mods I would make are things like... Um, I would make it, the only mod I would really like to add to Skyrim is that everyone acknowledges the fact that I saved the world because I got real frustrated that I finished the main quest and I went back and I spoke to the Jarl and the Jarl was like, yeah, what do you want? Um, And I was like, I saved the world, you you know, and, you you know, these guards are still talking Um, to me about Okay, my friend, you need a mod called God, (laughs) God Dialogue Overhaul. (laughs) <laughs> because that will actually factor in all of your achievements and you know when you shout in a city and they can yeah. say what you're doing like shouting in a city it gives yeah. you loads of options to say i am the archmage of Winterhold. don't presume yeah. to order me around and they're like oh i'm so sorry i'm so sorry <laughs> yeah i mean it, it, i think it's basic stuff like that that it I mean, I know nothing about actual programming, but I feel like it's things like that that would make a game so much better, especially in the sense of, like, when I played Fallout 4 and it was sort of like, <laughs> I got to the end and then everyone was like, yep, that's that's it. And I was like, yeah, but you're selling this game as a game that I could play for hundreds and hundreds of hours, yet when I finish the main quest line, nothing changes. Yeah. Um and that, I think that's really disappointing. It's like when you're in WoW and you go to Stormwind and they have a bunch of shops, but you can't ever buy anything from them because none of the gear is good enough. Um, it just needs a little bit more detail. That's that's what I put in my mods. So um, obviously we, we've got to touch on your specialist subject here, which is religion in video games. Um, so I think, I mean, religious belief is as diverse as it is divisive. Um, it, it does feature heavily in 
pretty much every RPG video game that I've played. Yeah. Um, what games have done religion well, and and what do you think that a really a really good religion, a really well documented one, what does that bring to the game world? Um, I think well, the main reason people include religion in games is or. I think, is that they want to give their world a bit of added depth. So they want to install a bit of history into the game because there's nothing that makes a story more believable than saying this has been going on for hundreds of years. Um, it's like every time you you interact with a deity in Skyrim, it's like a big deal because everyone knows about them and there's books that you can read about them and there's lore and it sort of just reinforces that this world has been going on for hundreds and thousands of years before you got there and will go on for hundreds and thousands of years after you've been there. Um, so that's definitely, I think, why people use religion so much. Um, I think if you're talking about good religion in games, um, if we're talking about critical of religion, um, Final Fantasy X does a very good job of criticising religion um, and also showing that if you have a religious belief, it doesn't have to be part of an organised church and it doesn't have to be tied to people. Um, it can be your own personal belief. Um, I think when that point is made in games, it, it's really empowering um, because a lot of people do live a life thinking that if you're religious, that means you have to go to church or you have to, you know, share it with people or you have to do this or you have to do that. And there's a lot of people who are much stronger having their own personal faith. So I really like games like um, Everybody's Gone to the Rapture has a really interesting take on religion um, because it it looks at a small community and you have several characters who are religious and speak about their religion, but they're not all the same. Um, it's, it's similar to how in Dragon Age, a point I like making is that Cassandra and Sarah have exactly the same religious belief. Um, but when you talk to them, they seem dramatically different. Um, you know, Cassandra is very pious and she's very sort of structured and she has this sort of, you know, very much like Joan of Arc quest for justice. I mean, Sarah doesn't really care that much about that kind of stuff. She cares about justice, but not in the same way. And she's she's very self-deprecating. She's very uncouth. But she has exactly the same religious belief as Cassandra, which is great because it shows that just because you're religious, you don't have to be this kind of person. You can embrace religion however you like. Um, I love that point because also you could throw Varric into the mix as well. Exactly. exactly. He says he's Andrastian, but you would never believe, like, a, you know, a rogue like Varric would ever be. Yeah, like, the yeah. And I think, I think Vivian is as well. Um, I mean, quite a few of them. I mean, obviously, um, you've got all these people who have this belief in the Chantry, which is totally not the Roman Catholic Church with the genders reversed. Um and I just like how it shows those different versions. Um, yeah, I think they're really good. I think Witcher 3 does a really nice job of dealing with pagan religion um, because it shows, you know, you've got the Church of the Eternal Fire, which is basically like an 
early kind of Roman Catholicism or Christianity, and then you've got like the pagan Druids in um, Hoskellig, and you've got the the like people in Velen who have their own rituals, and you have this kind of story. The thing I really liked about religion in, in Witcher was that they do this thing where they're like, um, oh, there's this rumour about these witches, and we all pay tribute to them, and you sort of think to yourself, your initial, or my initial impression was, oh, well, they, they obviously don't exist. Um, it's clearly a fairy tale, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to go somewhere and it's going to be a monster. And you go to the swamp. Yeah. And they're real people. And they're and bloody a, terrifying as And well. they're bloody terrifying, which I think is a lot closer to, like, you've. it's got a kind of grim story tale, uh, you know, that kind of, real what fairy tales used to be in the sense that they were all quite dark and they were all really kind of grim but it I liked that because it had those kind of layers of belief you had the people who didn't really believe it but you know it was a superstition you had the people who actually paid tribute and then you had the actual you know witches themselves I, I really like there's a quest um, in Witcher 3 called A Greedy God, um, which is a great quest because you, you basically come to this, like, fork in the road and there's an old church that's got caved in and there's a bunch of villagers paying tribute at this church and you go and talk to them and they're like, oh, this is the home of our local god. Our local god helps us, but they've been really greedy lately. Oh, and we I've done this quest. Yeah, and you keep paying tribute, and they're like, we, we've, we've paid tribute, and he's not giving us anything, and you sort of go, oh, okay, and you investigate, and you go under the cave, and you find out that it's this monster, and you have this really interesting moral dilemma, because I looked it up, and you can kill him, and if you kill him, all the villagers get really upset. Um, and they're sort of distraught that their god has been destroyed and they lose all this faith because they're like, they find out it's all fake and it's, you know, it's a real downer. And then you can tell the villagers that it's this goblin thing. Um, and if you do that, all the villagers die because they go to try and fight him and he kills them all. Um, so your best bet, morally, I guess, is to threaten this guy and be like you better be nice to these villagers so that that way the villagers can retain their faith but and the goblin doesn't really eat them or they don't get killed um but i just love that there were those kind of levels um in it and it was just so wonderful that like Geralt there was never an option for Geralt to be like y'all crazy um <laughs> I like that they do that. Like, they have him sort of say, oh, this isn't my fight, or I don't believe in gods, but I, you know, he never outwardly is just like, you're all crazy, and I think religion is stupid. Um, I thought that was very good of them not to do that. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, that's, that's, it's a great example of, um, you know, what I think Dragon Age does particularly well, and actually Elder Scrolls as well, is to weave religion seamlessly, it seems, into the 
plot lines and I think with Dragon Age I mean you, you say you haven't played Dragon Age 2 oh my god um, no, but I, I know what happened the biggest setup yeah. for Inquisition is in Dragon Age 2 and oh so my god I mean like the, the, the whole Terrible. problem with the mages and the Templars oh stems god. from the Chantry and, 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 <laughs> and so actually when you're playing Dragon Age 2 it almost forces you to take a stance on the <laughs> Chantry and yeah. And, and and religion in general. The Chantry is a cornerstone of Dragon Age. And I think in the same way that, you know, when you're playing Morrowind, for example, um, with being the Never Neverine, um, you, you know, the whole that that's uh, centred on the, the Trinity, who actually were mortals who became gods. And so yeah. their storyline and the fact that you're you become, you know, hunted by, you know, their agents and then you realize that there's this big conspiracy and that there's like these forbidden texts even that and of course azura throw azura into the mix this daedric goddess it's mm. really religion is like uh, it's actually woven so seamlessly into the narrative that you can't yeah. pick it like it's it, the whole thing is one enormous kind of tapestry of um of of storytelling which i think is yeah. that that's where yeah. it's done particularly well yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it can be done badly, but examples. I um, hmm, what's a good example of it done badly? Just any of the games where they've clearly gone. Let's mix a bit of Hindu belief with a little bit of Islam, with a little bit of Christianity. I mean, as much as I love Dragon Age, like the Chantry is quite. It's 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 kind of lazy. <laughs> Because it is, it is literally the Roman Catholic Church yeah. with the genders reversed. I mean, they have a conclave and everything. Um, I like that they reverse the genders, but at the same time, it's just, it's, it's same shit, different day. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, <laughs> it's, it's not very creative. Um, that's why I think a lot of the games that deal with it on a personal level are a lot better. Like the personal quests that are, are to do with religion, I think, are really, really good. Yeah. Um, so, this is going to be like one of the hardest questions ever for you, but um, we, we've covered quite a lot of game worlds. Um, if you had to pick a favourite, um, maybe even one that you magically found yourself in, <laughs> which one would it be? Oh, man. See, that was the thing. I always used to do that with games. I would like, because every, I'm one of those people that when I play a game, I just become like obsessed with it. Um, and I'll put like pictures up everywhere and I'll start thinking about tattoos I can get. Cough, and, cough. Uh, change your phone I, wallpaper, change your desktop yeah, wallpaper. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, mean, I do not have be- the outsider currently plastered over everything. <laughs> yeah, you should see my office because my office is just like next to my desk. I've just got a picture, pictures of like characters from Dragon Age because <laughs> it's just like, oh, here's my wall of all these characters from Dragon Age. So I become really obsessed with games. Um, like when I played, uh, when I did my masters, I did my masters on Bioshock Infinite. So imagine living an entire year. It just. <laughs> All day, every day, just thinking about Bioshock Infinite. Uh, but so, yeah, I've, 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 I've been really immersed in a lot of games. Um, I would probably say, like, Witcher 3. Um, as much as the Witcher's world is very, like, awful <laughs> and very uh, low budget, I must say that, like, 
that's the one game that I've caught myself multiple times being like, oh, I would love to live in this village or, oh, I would love to just spend a day riding my horse across this country. Um, I mean, I'm the kind of person that like when I get to Velen, when I'm playing Witcher at the start and they're like, oh, gosh, Velen is a quagmire and it's so awful. And I'm always like, but it's so beautiful at sunset. Um <laughs> I always reset the clock so I can be at sunset or sunrise. Um, I just think it's it's such a beautifully realized world. Um, I've never taken as many screenshots as when I play Witcher. I I just think it's an absolute masterpiece of a world creation. <laughs> okay then. So another no, probably possibly harder question for you. Um, who is your favorite Dragon Age companion? Um, this is this is real hard because like. Um, as I said, I played I played Dragon Age for Cassandra. Um, I've romanced Solus, Blackwall, Sarah, and Cullen. I think I've romanced Cullen twice. Um, <laughs> I would say um, Cassandra on the like. I think it's either Cassandra, Dorian, or Sarah. Although I do love Iron Bull, especially because oh. he's voiced by Freddie Prince Jr. Like. There is a man who loves his job. Like, oh, wow. Okay, easier question for you. Mage, rogue, or warrior? I would say mage every time. Every time. That game was designed for mages. Um, Playing as a warrior is boring as hell. Yeah, I agree. I cannot force myself to do it in any game. (laughs) No, I I mean, I have trouble playing tanks anyway. I find them just really dull. Uh, The mage has the, the most diversity in its classes, and it also has the jump forward button. Which um, I'm not a person who likes using the horse in Dragon Age um, because it cuts down your conversation. So I need to be able to port forward really quick. So I always I always go with the mage. (laughs) And my last question. Yeah. How long was it before you completed Skyrim's main storyline? Or are you a purist like me who gets obsessed with the main storyline? Yeah, I'm not. I I have to admit, I am a purist. I'm the person who, like, I will only not play the main quest line if I'm not the level to play it. You know when you get to certain parts and it's like, you can't unlock this because you're not high enough. I'm like, okay, now is the time to do side quests. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> I, I've got to do the main quest first. If I delay doing the main quest, something bad is going to happen to the people in the main quest. Um, you know, when they're like, oh, you've got to go save my wife with this potion. And I'm always like, I can't, like, I can't go and do a bunch of side quests because this lady is dying. Um, and there used to be a lot of games where if you didn't do it in a certain amount of time, the person would die. And nowadays they obviously don't do that because you've got these big open world games and they don't do it as much. Um, so I always just stick, I always just stick with the main quest. <laughs> it's the best, to be honest. Well, we could totally go on all night about games because they are so amazing, but so before amazing. it gets too late, I need to go and play some more of the Clockwork Mansion in Dishonored 2. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> So I'd like to thank uh, Emily for coming along and talking to us on Breaking the Glass Slipper. Thank you very much, Emily. It's been an absolute pleasure. Well, thank you very much for having me and feel free to call me again if you ever need someone to talk about games. (laughs) Join us again for another episode of Breaking the Glass Slipper.